Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Becky, the day's Welcome, here. Welcome, everybody. My voice is very calm, but I'm fangirling so hardcore yeah, I'm trying to Keep you calm over there. It's so amazing when we have people on the podcast who pour their heart and soul into purpose, into making life a little bit better for everybody else. But it's such a cool thing for us when our past kind of intersects with our present. And we happen to work at a hospital in a healthcare system, that, and we were very close with our pediatric team and our child life team. And I actually worked on a grant that the Starlight Foundation funded for our pediatric program back in the day. And it is just an absolute joy for me to look the CEO in the eye and say, thank you. Thank you. That made a huge difference in our hospital. And I just think of the joy that the Starlight Foundation has brought to sick kids in the hospital is amazing. But before we go into Starlight, I got to introduce Adam Garoni. You may know him. He's an activist, a change agent. Yes, he's the CEO of Starlight Foundation, but he also is a co-founder of Movember. And he's just one of the most successful social entrepreneurs of our time. And he created Movember. You remember, we had Caitlin Whitaker on um, a couple of seasons ago to talk about branding. And now he's leading Starlight through this transformational change, applying all of this digital fundraising expertise into the program. And you know what? He's got a cool story. He worked for nine years as an officer in the Australian military, and he was co-founding the Movember Foundation. And so we are just really excited to speak to Adam today. Not only does he have a true heart for passion and for purpose, but we love that he loves digital first strategy. And so we're excited to talk about all of that. But I just want to give one last little plug to Starlight because it is completely centered and united in the belief that that all children deserve to experience the magic of childhood because seriously ill kids are still kids. So thank you for just uplifting that beautiful mission. And Adam, welcome to the We Are For Good podcast. We are so excited that you are here. Wow. What a, uh, an amazing introduction. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here this morning and share a little bit about you know my journey and, and where we're going. Well, we're we're very interested in connecting the dots here. We want to go back really early on to little Adam in <laughs> Australia and tell us about how you grew up leading to these endpoints of military, Movember, Starlight, and yeah. what awakened this purpose in you? Yeah, that it, it's a really good question. And I sort of reflect on this a little bit. Um, it's like, where did this passion for service come from? Because that's the one constant in my career. And my career is not traditional by any stretch, but I had a uh, family history of service in the military in, in Australia. And I just grew up wanting to do that. I don't, I, I can't remember a time in my life that I, you know, didn't want to, to be in the military. I think there was a, um, a costume party at grade, first grade or something like that. And I went with uh, my uncle's uh, green beret on and, and it was Aww. just awesome. Yeah. That was just something I grew up wanting to do. I, I don't remember it ever being a conscious decision. Um, went to 
a Catholic boys' school growing up in, in Melbourne, Australia, and, and certainly learned from the fathers and brothers in the school, the teachers, their commitment to service and um, our education and, and looking after it. So I think that was part of it as well. Um, but yeah, then went straight into the military. That was the first sort of chapter of my career. And, you know, you don't get a more structured, formal uh, career. It's, you know, it's it's training, then promotion, time in rank, promotion, time in rank, promotion. And it's a it's a very, very traditional Stair structure. Stair steps. Yeah. And, and then um, I left it at nine and a half years, so in my sort of late 20s, I guess. And then I did a... Um, an MBA coming out of that, or I started an MBA uh, at Melbourne Business School, and and then they just created a Masters of Marketing program, and that intrigued me in part because everyone was doing an MBA, and I thought, well, I'll do uh, the Master of Marketing um, to differentiate myself, not realizing that was sort of a key principle of marketing, and also there was three less subjects uh, to to graduate. So it, it was- it sounds like me looking for the least math so credit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A bit cheap, a bit faster way to track through that. And uh, yeah, and then I transitioned out into working the mobile phone industry back in early 2000s. The, the, the killer apps at the time were a ringtone for 99 cents and, oh my gosh. And, yes. a, and a screensaver um, and worked on some billing platforms. And then, yeah, my brother- sent me an email. Um, the subject, I'll never forget it. The subject line is, are you man enough to be my man? His birthday is November 27 and said, we're going to have a moustache themed birthday party. We're actually going to have two parties, one at the start of the month to prove you're clean shaven and then one at the end of the month for, for his birthday. And and that's how November started. It had nothing to do with um, charity or anything that year. It was, it was just a, a moustache themed party, which was epic. Unbelievable. And I mean, tell us, you know, how it grew, because I mean, the story, I mean, we had this impact on it's millions of people that have been involved, right? I mean, Hundreds where did you leave it? Hundreds of millions of dollars raised mm. for men's health. It's raised around $1.5 billion. Um, oh and each November, each year it raises around $127, $130 million a year. It's just this phenomenon in terms of a fundraising campaign and it's all digital. The first year there were 30 of us that sort of participated in my brother's birthday and you know they coined the t- term Movember which in Australia Mo is slang for moustache so it was Movember, November. And it was this really interesting personal journey because at the time we were the only 30-year-olds or late 20-year-olds rolling around with moustaches and it created so much conversation and so much controversy. It's like, hey, what are you doing? I mean, the look at the time was clean <laughs> shaven. And I, I was working in the mobile phone industry and business development and stuff. And my boss said, you can't see clients like that. What are you doing? And it had this beautiful start, middle and, and end to, to the campaign. And um, But the conversation sort of fell flat when it was like, oh, we're just doing this for my brother's birthday. So the next year, I went to Trav and and Luke, the other two guys involved and said, hey, how about we put this toward a cause and and we fundraise off the back of it? Because when you think about it, it it's no different to any other, you know, uh, event-based fundraiser, like doing a, a half marathon or a bike ride. You make a commitment to, you know, do something and then you fundraise off your friends and family and colleagues. And, you know, Movember's been called the laziest charity event in the world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You you do less to embrace it. Why people yeah. love it. Yeah. 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 And we also and my 
brother was the you know the brand creator. He's a brand guy, and he loves brands. And and the Movember brand is central to everything that we did. And we at the time there was no charities that appealed to us. They were all used more fear based marketing and. You know, we landed on prostate cancer because it's a male-only cancer and it's basically the equivalent of breast cancer in terms of number of men that are diagnosed and, and pass from the disease. And they'd never broken out in, in any way to make that disease popular or created any sort of significant fundraising around it. And so we just came at it from this completely different side. It's like the irreverence of growing a moustache for, for a cause um, and Luke came up with a, you know, I think one of the best taglines ever, which is changing the face of men's health. And, you know, we literally changed, you know, our appearance. We raised awareness off of that and funds. And, you know, that first year we cobbled together a website, um, you downloaded the donation forms. And then the next year, 2005, we integrated a credit card gateway, which was a first, you know, we were one of the first sort of to you know very progressive around that and you know this is well before social media so it was all email marketing and, and word of mouth and then it just grew it grew exponentially the fact that you made an ALS ice bucket moment out of this particular cancer is absolutely mind-bending and the way that you have done it is so interesting and whimsical and fun and joyful and the fact that you also influence pop culture because I feel <laughs> like you started seeing the mustaches on celebrities you started seeing it on brands like it just started showing up and as someone whose father has had a sam elliott mustache for 42 <laughs> years he feels very seen so and sad. i love right. this yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just a beautiful really experiment i just love it well our dad had a mustache back in the day as well but you know november right from the get-go was all about men's health uh, holistically and so we added testicular cancer as a the second cause being another male-only cancer. And then um, the third cause uh, we added was mental health and suicide prevention for men and boys. Mm -hmm. And I really, you know, making great progress on prostate and testicular cancer and in, in, in terms of, you know, testicular cancer, no man should ever die from that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you still need to turn up if you notice something wrong. And even the um, the survival rate for prostate cancer is, you know, in the 80s, 90s now, and side effects are, are quite reduced. So, but, you know, mental health and, and suicide for men and boys is a really gnarly topic. It's very complex. And, you know, we're not winning on that one. You know, society is getting more complex with social and digital media and all those influences. So that's, you know, a, in addition to my work at Starlight, still a, a passion of mine. Well, I just think, you know, what a formative experience to watch something that becomes a global phenomenon with sustainability too. It's just, it is a unicorn. And you had that experience right out of the gate too. It's right. This first formative experience professionally. I just think it's, it's had to have shifted the way your mind works and the possibilities you see. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it is. Um, and, and that's been the really interesting thing coming to Starlight. So I've, third year anniversary just last week. And th there's definitely an element of lightning in the bottle with Movember. There, there was just this, yeah, you're right. There's an element of it's a unicorn. It works. And, you know, Movember does get compared to the Ice Bucket Challenge a fair bit. And I think it's in, in the one sense it's unfair because the Ice Bucket Challenge was one year. 
one year, I mean, it was mass, right? It, it raised about 140 million in November's peak year, 2012. We raised more than that. I think it was you know five or six million more than that. But but it's sustained. You know, it it ticks yeah. over at 130 million dollars um, a year in terms of fundraising. As I said, it's raised 1.5 billion dollars. Um, but again, it's you know we had nothing to do with the the charity world, and nor did the guys that started the Ice Bucket Challenge. And it was just looking at something completely different. And I always say, like, you can't, it's very hard to think outside the box if you live in it. You know, I did some consulting before I joined Starlight and, and everyone, even at Starlight, Starlight Board is like, right, we need a Movember. And it's like, you actually don't. The, the more yeah. time we spend thinking about trying to create a Movember is wasted it's wasted time. I mean, my brother and his mate were drunk on a Sunday afternoon in, in a bar and just came up with this. And, <laughs> and if, if my starting point from November was as, you know, the marketing or fundraising director at the Prostate Cancer Foundation and, and they said, hey, we need to create a campaign that's going to engage young men and women in this cause and, you know, go viral. I, I, there's no way known if that was your starting point, you would have got to November. You know, November, we heavily invested in our tech platform and the brand, but central to it and, and same at Starlight, central to everything is storytelling. And we 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 told that story in a really positive, irreverent way. And I sort of always think about the motives for why people would engage in a, um, a charity or a fundraising campaign. There's the extrinsic motivators and then intrinsic and the extrinsic motivators are strong at Movember. So that was more, I'm going to do this because I'm going to look cool and my friends are going to see it and they're going to get engaged. It was far less about the cause. Whereas at Starlight, the the motivators are intrinsic. Um, there is universal sort of empathy for a hospitalized kid and the family going through that. And so we draw far more on the cause and, and you know, helping these sick kids in our storytelling. So the, the storytelling is the motivations and how we draw people in are very different. So I've been intrigued. It's like, okay, I, I did this at November. There was absolutely an element of luck, great execution, of course, but, you know, can I replicate that in a an established charity that's, you know, been around for 40 years, but hardly anyone knows about? Get into it. Like we want to hear about Starlight Foundation and I'll just give a little 10,000 foot view from my little uh, feet on the ground. But I remember the day that our child life specialist came to us and said, we're going for a big grant. And she explained the case to me of what she thought it would do and how it would um, impact beyond the pediatric unit into the PICU, into the siblings. And there was such a multi-layer to it. And she believed so deeply in it. And to see that that gift came to fruition, to watch it come into the hospital, to be able to forward an email to her, you know, a couple weeks ago and say, Hey, we're talking to Adam. And she says, look him in the eye and tell him how much this has changed our culture. Then that's what it's all about. So take, take us into Starlight Foundation, 40 year old um, organization and tell us why it appealed to you to come and lead this organization. Yeah, there were, there were a couple of things that um, collided a few years ago in a, in a good and a bad way. Um, the one of the board members I knew um, as a personal friend, and and he was you know new since I uh, sort of came over to the US in two thousand and seven. 
And he would often ask me for advice around Starlight. And it, it got to a point was like, hey, wait, it, it, hardly anyone knows about Starlight. How, how is that? So in, in Australia, Starlight is a household name. It, it would have the same brand recognition in Australia as Make-A-Wish or St. Jude. And I grew up knowing about Starlight in Australia. I thankfully didn't spend any time in a children's hospital, but they've just done this brilliant job over decades of, of building their brand. So there was this, in my mind, intriguing challenge to to build a brand of a 40-year-old organization. And and I love challenges and I love building stuff just generally. And the other thing that really brought it home for me on the not so good side was um, my niece, who's the same age as my daughter. And we're very close with them three years ago now. She was diagnosed with um, brain cancer and and. I always say there's only one thing worse than being told you've got cancer. It's being told that your child has cancer. You know, my brother and sister-in-law, we, we were supposed to, they live in San Diego. We were supposed to go down there for the weekend. They said, you know, Charlie's got a fever, you know, best you don't come down. So within the space of 48 hours, that went from having a fever, she was walking and falling over. So they took her immediately in. They did an MRI. Um, she had a tumor the size of a small lemon on the uh, the base of her brain. Within another 48 hours, she had brain surgery. It was malignant. And then they spent eight months of their life in the children's hospital in, in San Diego, uh, Rady Children's Hospital, um, going through the most intense chemotherapy a child that age could survive because it was so rare they couldn't identify what type of cancer it was. So they just threw everything at it. Uh, they call it brain cancer because that's where they found the tumor, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's that type of cancer. So you see, we saw firsthand, you know, the impact that has on a family in that time, you know, financially, emotionally, and, you know, you, you just going, is Charlie going to survive this? And then, you know, even she's cancer free now, but every six months she goes in for a full MRI. At that age, it's you know, it's still a full day procedure, general anesthetic, and a whole bunch of radiation um, to make sure the cancer hasn't come back. So they, but you know, every time Charlie has a cold or something like that, they immediately go to, you know, is the cancer back? So it's, uh, I got to see the impact that that sort of a, you know, disease can have on a kid and a family. Um, but I also got to see firsthand the impact of Starlight programs. And, you know, we've got a great program with Radio Flyer and Starlight's all about transforming moments like Becky, you were talking about for a child in the hospital. So with our partnership with Radio Flyer, instead of going in a wheelchair from the the bed to the treatment room, um, you know, they can go on a Radio Flyer wagon. So Charlie used to sleep in the Radio Flyer wagon and, you know, we've, we've reinvented hospital gowns and we know as adults how shitty hospital gowns are you know and so we redesigned them like a double wraparound does up from the side pajama like material but then we partnered with the likes of disney and we put star wars characters and princesses and um major league baseball team logos on them and it, it just transforms that moment you know we always again being digital first even in the programming side we've added qr codes onto the gowns now so the kids can scan the qr codes and then you know the Milan comes to life on their phone with a, a special special message for them. So, you know, it's we try and think about that moment where they're taking off their own clothes, putting on a gown, then they can take on the powers of a superhero or a princess, but then they get this little special message because they're, they're waiting, you know, there's some downtime between putting that gown on, between going in, you know, typically you go in for an operation at that point for a kid. So. Oh, my gosh. 
I mean, Adam, it's just like this convergence of all these things happening. You know, like I think the power of tech and Becky and I were, you know, a decade in healthcare. Stuff like this is doesn't happen in healthcare. Oh my gosh. So it would take behind. like eight years. It's so <laughs> hard to get this kind of stuff done, which I don't know if that lands if you're not in healthcare, but truly to try to, yeah. to do something innovative like this, I know is a ton of work and a lot of, you know, passion has to come to the table. To make the it QR code on... I mean, it's like you really gave the child an identity. You really thought about what would be comforting. You thought about mm. what would be humane, what would be whimsical. These are not words you think about when you're in the hospital. It's so smart, Adam. Yeah. And you know, it's one of the best things about COVID, right? The resurgence of the QR code. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think, you know, our most innovative program is our virtual reality program. So we've got virtual reality headsets and we curate content that goes on them. And yes, that's about entertainment and distraction, but because it's so immersive, our VR headsets are being prescribed instead of sedating a kid or putting them under. So unfortunately, one of the most common injuries, serious injuries for a kid is a burn. So changing a burn, um, changing a dressing on a burn is highly traumatic, painful. Oftentimes, they've got to put a kid under or heavily sedate them. So in burn units across the country, they're immersing kids in our VR headsets. They're exploring an underwater world getting lost and then the nurse or, or the doctor is changing the dressing or even for Charlie one of the highly traumatic thing was cleaning her chemo port in, in her chest so again you know now they can immerse them in VR they clean the chemo port or taking out stitches putting them in and so it has a the, our VR program has a clinical application as well and you know we've got meditative you know apps on there as well so pre or post surgery and we're starting to use it for um physical therapy. So imagine a kid that has a broken arm or, or, you know, is having trouble walking. Suddenly through VR, you can gamify that. Be playing something which otherwise would be what? really painful and stressful because you've got a physical therapist going, hey, try and, you know, reach above your head. Now they're, they're catching butterflies or whatever it is and it's completely gamified. Hey friends, this episode is presented by Virtuous, and they just happen to be one of our favorite companies. Let me tell you why. You know we believe everyone matters, and we've witnessed the greatest philanthropic movements happen when you see and activate donors at every level. And here's the thing, Virtuous created a fundraising platform to help you do just that. It's much more than a nonprofit CRM. Virtuous is committed to helping charities reimagine generosity through responsive fundraising, which is simply putting the donor at the center of fundraising growing giving through personalized donor journeys, and by helping you respond to the needs of every individual. We love it because this approach builds trust and loyalty through personalized engagement. Sound like Virtuous may be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at virtuous.org or follow the link in our show notes. Hey friends, after meeting some of the most visionary leaders and world changers in the nonprofit sector today, we realize they all have one thing in common. They invest in themselves and their teams so they can stay relevant to what's working now to succeed and scale their missions. You know us, we believe education's for all, and that's when we created We Are For Good Pro. Pro is reimagining nonprofit professional development, giving you access to incredible live coaching events with some of the best thought leaders like Kashana Palmer, Lynn Wester, and more. Imagine being able to work through your challenges in real time. That's the power of Pro. Every week, we host a new workshop, giving you the playbook and tools to take immediate action, build your confidence, and grow your impact. Be the pro and get started today with a 14-day free trial. Head over to weareforgoodpro.com slash free. 
Okay, let's get back to this amazing conversation. Okay, I just, I love this because y'all meet the moment of, you know, we're not letting these things just sit on the shelf for this, the outside industries to partake in. You're saying, no, we're going to harness this for good for this moment. I mean, leaning into VR at this moment, I think is so brilliant. Um, and we just had these conversations. It shouldn't be so out of reach for nonprofits. Like the way that y'all think innovatively is disruptive. And I wish it wasn't that way. Yeah. But how have you led a team to be embracing this digital first, this always innovating kind of culture? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and particularly as I, you know, get a bit older and, you know, you, you've got these kids that have grown up with social media and, and the internet. I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 50, so we didn't have the internet and stuff, but, you know, cause we've got this amazing VR program. Um, and I said to the team the other day, okay, this is going to sound weird, but we're going to start doing meetings in VR and, and how can we go into the metaverse and create starlight in the metaverse? How can we build our brand in there and fundraise in there? Now, I don't know the answers to that, but there's definitely apps where, I mean, this is two dimensional, right? And, yeah. the, and, you know, Bill Gates and Zuckerberg have talked about this, but within a few years, um, we'll be doing meetings in virtual reality. Um, and, and there is a, there's some great apps out there at the moment that you can do that. So it's, we have this great program, but how can we embrace virtual reality, both from how can we be more efficient and effective in our workplace? And even, you know, we've got a remote workforce across spread across the U S so, you know, there's an app called rec room where you can go in and, and you can have an avatar and, and play, you know, rec room games. So how about for our social gatherings instead of just being on zoom and I don't know, having a, a discussion about something, let's, let's go in in virtual reality and play in the rec room. But it's, it's all for me about creating this culture of innovation and just saying, Hey, that, you know, it's a, it's a throwaway line. There's no stupid ideas, but it's, it's far more than that. It's creating a culture of entrepreneurship and innovation where people can try stuff. And it's like, let's try stuff. Not A lot of stuff isn't going to work. There's stuff that I've tried at Movember that didn't work. There's stuff that I've tried at Starlight that hasn't worked. And but try and, what we're going to try and do is minimize the consequences of, of that. Like how do we test something with we're going to get enough data and, and enough insight to know whether it's going to be working or not. But one, don't be emotionally attached to the idea. Um, and to look at the data and three, minimize the potential downside of, of that investment of that thing. And, you know, and then you iterate off, off of that. And, you know, when I first joined Starlight, it was like, okay, we've got these two great programs in gaming. We've got a 30 year partnership with Nintendo and Becky, the gaming stations that went to the hospital. That's pure entertainment and kids just being kids. Um, but they're specially designed to work in a hospital for infection control and preloaded with games and whatnot. And then we've got a virtual reality program. I said, why aren't we in the streaming and gaming space? They're fundraising over there. So we went in there and um, it's worked. You know, last year we raised close to a million dollars um, from streamers. And these are, yeah, they're gamers, they're chefs, they're musicians, they're crafters, and they get to game and stream or cook and stream. And then they, we, place you know gaming stations or vr headsets on their behalf in their local hospital so it's this beautiful virtuous circle where they get to fundraise from their community and place programs in their local hospital adam your brain is like in 2030 it's like <laughs> you can see 
what is ahead? I'm I'm so geeked out about this. And and I just think about the freedom your team must have to have a CEO that values innovation as such a basis of the culture. And I I, I am laughing that you are using our words, <laughs> our same words, which is try stuff. And I mean, that is such a phrase in this community of failing forward, failing up. Like we know we're not going to succeed every time. Move, I, I love that you are so authentic and transparent. It's like we tried stuff with Movember and it didn't work. But it's like you have to keep pushing the envelope. You have to keep pushing. And I would, I would love your counsel to all of our nonprofit friends who are listening right now who are trying to get to that innovation first culture and they don't know how, what are some good first steps they can take to get there? Even if it's moving their leader in that way. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, and even the Starlight board were, as I came in with streaming, was like, what, how does that even work? And so it's, again, it was, we, we tried it and we did it on a, a small scale, but yeah, I mean, for me, the innovation in that culture has to be driven from the the top down, but oftentimes, you know, you'll, you'll have pockets of, you mightn't have that in, in a lot of organizations, particularly in the, the not-for-profit sector. And I saw this consulting and it's like, it was in different organizations, it was like, oh, wow, there's no innovation here. Although they want to be innovative, they don't want to take those risks. And, you know, it, it is tough, but if there's a pocket of people, I always say this, like you, you think about any movement, any moment, November, anything, one or two passionate people that truly believe in whatever yeah. it is and their belief creates this enthusiasm and persistence um, that eventually pervades through the organization. So, yeah, if, if you're in a not-for-profit or an organization and, and it's stifled with innovation, it'd be like trying to come up with a concept and then a framework or a ring fence around it. They go, hey, what if we try this? You might need some resources to do that, but what if we try this and just see if it resonates? And the other thing that I've learned as well, you, you've got to give ideas, concepts, time to breathe. You just do. Great advice. And I, over and over, it, for me, it's a three-year, like that. that's, there's small innovations you can do for sure. With Movember, it wasn't until the third year in Australia. It wasn't until the third year here. Even with Starlight now, three years in and fundamentally changing the strategy and the approach, you, you're just seeing to start seeing the flywheel effect of it. And, you know, my board at Starlight is like, Adam, we need to move faster. And it's like, I'm with you <laughs> 100%. Sometimes it just takes time. And I said, every day we've got to be better than the day before. And that could be with the story, the content we're creating, you know, how we're maximizing our performance marketing metrics and stuff like that. But yeah, I think it's it's trying to bite off something small and, and as I said, ring fence it and then, you know, get some buy-in and just try it. Adam, I'm going to play this episode back. I can't wait to just immerse in your leadership on this. We champion as one of our values that it's not about just growing donors in something, it's about growing believers because believers just act differently and they unlock opportunity. And I think what you're saying about bringing the passion and enthusiasm, this is why you just replicating Movember at Starlight wouldn't work. It's it's like, what is it that brings this group of passionate believers at Starlight alive? That's what we want to do. That's what we want to put our money behind. And that's what we all need to do. Like you can't just copy and paste these great ideas 
figure out what is bringing your board alive, your staff alive, your donors alive, and lean into that and give it the space to germinate. Like this is breakthrough. Yeah. And and that's, you know, when I first joined Starlight, it was, you know, took probably four or five months just to to truly understand the organization because I went in there thinking, okay, we need to create like this epic peer-to-peer campaign for this and create some sort of a gimmick skipping for Starlight or I don't don't know, something, (laughs) star jumps or jumping jacks for Star, whatever. But then you go, okay, our programs are so tangible. Like a a gown is $35, you know, a VR unit is $1,500. The impact is real. You can see it. It's immediate. So that goes back to that intrinsic motivators. So lean into the tangibility of our programs, the immediacy of impact because it's at, at Movember we were funding you know uh, research for the most part and that's that takes 10 to 15 years to translate right. maybe so. maybe yeah. so and you know I mean we did so many videos of a, a researcher in a lab coat with a test tube with colored water and they don't even use that they don't even use <laughs> test tubes so you know we, we go no we, we don't need a gimmick at Starlight we just need to play into the kids that we're serving this amazing impact, tell that story, but obviously give people ways to support. So we created this uh, initiative on the program. It's called Sponsor a Hospital. So you can go into the website. You can put in your zip code. You see all the children's hospitals around you. You can choose that. We've got a, we know what programs they want from us. And then you can go, all right, I want to place two VR units. Okay, I'm going to raise $3,000. Like how then people went and go and raise that $3,000 could be a bake sale. It could be, we weren't prescriptive about that. It's, it's fine to have, you know, a great website and, uh, you know, great little fundraising things, but that's easy. Actually, the hardest bit is getting people to your website. It's like build it and they won't come. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's great advice because I think we put all the stock in like doing this thing when we're not actually realizing the journey begins when it launches. Like then you still got to go find the people and cultivate and change course maybe, you know, as you learn more. And I have to just ask this question, help us understand how you tell that story and how you put it on fire on digital. Yeah. And and this is one of the hardest challenges, I think, because yeah, you can it's relatively easy to build a website and some, you know, that user experience, r- relatively easy. The toughest part is the storytelling piece and, and not just that, because again, we often think about telling the story, but then we have the story in the can, but it's like, what what is even more important than the story is the distribution plan behind that. Like, how are you, how are you going to get that out? Who are you targeting? This goes back to some basic principles of marketing, but even before you get to the storytelling, it's like, who who are you trying to reach? But but know them really, really well. And then it's like, who are you trying to reach and how are you going to get to them? And obviously social and digital media is key to that. And then what do you want them to do? Are we asking for a donation? Are we asking them to be a monthly donor? We just want them to hit our site. And that all informs then the base of this story. And because of COVID, we can't, it's very hard to get into hospitals to film, you know, kids and families. And, and you know, you're dealing with kids and families going through life-changing, life-threatening moments. So it's a very delicate subject matter. So another thing we instituted, we've got now three ambassador families each year uh, that we nurture and steward and they become the face of Starlight each year. And 
we worked with a video production team last year and came up with this concept around having the parents write a letter to the future child that's going through oh my gosh. Um, their illness. And I've just seen the first cuts of the PSAs. And, and so it really has nothing to do with our programs. You, you actually don't see our programs in this. But what the parents will say is, there were people and organizations like Starlight there for you. This is a tough time, but know that they were there for you and the importance of giving back. So it's a more holistic, um, but these, I'm, I'm getting emotional now because I've seen it, but it's like, it's beautiful. You have a dad reading this letter to his six-year-old son that's got congenital heart disease, and we'll have that for life, about the importance of giving back no matter what you're going through. So yeah, it's it's beautiful. Adam, I want you to double click on that ambassadorship. I mean, I think it's a unique way that y'all do that, but what dignity is in that, you know, of building these relationships and allowing them to storytell in their own way. Would you kind of talk about that the way that y'all created that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so for my brother and sister-in-law, they don't want to tell Charlie's story. They they want that chapter of their life behind them. And but there are some families that want to champion the you know their story and the illness that their child is going through so it's it's about finding those families that want to tell that story uh that are going to be good on camera um and and be great spokesperson people for the you know for starlight and and their cause so we you know we have someone focused on nurturing those relationships and building them up and and we we're very we need to give them enough value in this whole experience that they're willing to give us this intimate insight into their their life. So, you know, we pack we give them, you know, a VR headsets and gaming stations and and try to do stuff through our partners at Disney and, and other things to give them these really special moments. So they, you know, we call them our rock stars or movie stars. And, you know, they're they're our champions and we want to make them feel ultra special in through this experience. Okay, that right there was a masterclass in how you give dignity to the person who's storytelling, how you thank them for sharing that story as a part of your mission, how to co-build a story that doesn't lead to more undue trauma. And I want to give you a compliment, Adam, because we have such a penchant for mental health in this podcast. And we have such compassion and empathy for nonprofit professionals who are suffering from burnout and compassion fatigue. And they're working so hard in this pandemic. And I have heard you just gently over the last 50 minutes talk about how to help minimize someone's trauma. Mm. And I just think that the way that you and your foundation walk through this life, how you see one person, how how it almost feels like every, I mean, when you talk about these kids and I, and I know most people are probably listening to this, but if you watch the video, Adam lights up, like his whole carriage on top changes when he talks about these kids. And it just feels like a love letter to the Charlies of the world out there. And we see it and we just want to thank you for it so much. Oh, I appreciate that. It's, um, it's such fulfilling work. Um, you know, I, I often think about and talk about, you know, the difference between being successful and being significant. 
I think, you know, for a lot of adults, we spend the first half of our lives typically focused on being successful and that, you know, in academics, in sports, and then early parts of careers. And then, you know, you get to a certain point with a certain level of success and some sort of platform and, and realize that for me anyway, or a lot of us, it's, it's about being significant like this podcast. It's like significance to me is helping other people. And success brings moments of happiness for sure. And, and you know, they materialize in stuff that shows that you're successful. But when you focus in on being significant and realize the power of serving other people, that brings joy and true and long-term fulfillment. And so, yeah, I've been doing this stuff, you know, 13, 14 years at November and three here. It's And, you know, I'm you're deeply passionate about, you know, the work that I do. I love it. It's like, I love the team that we've built for us, you know, we're particularly with COVID, we can't get into hospitals, so we can't see the true impact. So every all staff meeting, which we have every other week, we have a child life specialist. We have a, a mom, we have a streamer come and join us because that keeps us close to that impact edge. Because otherwise, you know, you might be working in logistics or finance or even me as CEO dealing with board stuff. Like you become removed from, you know, the purpose of your organization. And, um, you know, that for us is the biggest motivator to hear from a family or, you know, a streamer who spent some time in a hospital as a kid now giving back. That That's, you know, the biggest motivator ever. Adam, you're such a good person and an incredible leader. I think there's so much here that that we could take into whatever organization we're leading. Um, I think about your career. You've gotten to witness the power of philanthropy on the daily <laughs> in a in an international movement in the one-on-one moments of Charlie's story too. Is there a story that comes to mind of how philanthropy has really changed you, something that will stick with you? You know, my legacy will always be Movember. I'll always be the Movember guy. And, you know, even yesterday I went to a Super Bowl party and I was talking with someone there and Movember had touched them and their family on the mental health side and forever thankful. So I think in all of our work, we never know, and we don't need to, how many people we impact or reach. But, you know, the ripple effect of that as well. And, you know, we when we started out with Movember, we wanted to, you know, create a new generation of philanthropy. And I sort of think we did that. We were one of the first people that young, younger people that started a charity, which was sort of unheard of. But now you see startups, you know, startup charities and, and stuff like that, which is great. You know, I think it's a humility of the work we do. You know, I've got kids and I'm just so fortunate that they're healthy and, and happy. Yeah. We all take our health for granted. And they're, they're saying is like, ask ask a rich man what he wants and he'll ask for 10 things. Ask a sick man what he wants, it'll be one thing. And like, I, you know, just focusing in on our health and well-being. Uh, but I think I think overall to be the humility and just appreciation for life and living in the moment and trying to nudge this world in a slightly better direction. Well, you've definitely done that. And I, I mean, it's just at such a huge scale. And I just think about what Movember has done to accelerate prostate cancer research, to accelerate what we know about testicular cancer, about mental health in men. And the fact that you did this and you continue to pour into it is just a gift that's just going to keep giving this world over and over again. And I'd love a good mustache. And I hate to ask you this question because it means we're wrapping up, but we want to know 
What's your one good thing, Adam? We ask all of our guests, like, what's a mantra, something you could leave with somebody today, maybe a piece of advice, a life hack? What's yours? I think, you know, one of of the mantras I go by, and, you know, back in the Australian military and special forces, one of the the mottos was, "Who, who dares wins? And it's being bold enough and brave enough to dare to try something and stick with and i even think about that now as you know 50 years old and it's like don't stop innovating it doesn't matter at what age yeah i live by who dares wins try stuff and and dare dare to be different and dare to win i need a new coffee mug i'm loving these adam <laughs> so good <laughs> okay tell us you know how can folks connect with you and starlight how can we support y'all's work and find y'all online yeah, absolutely. So uh, Starlight's website is starlight.org and um, at Adam Garoni on Twitter and LinkedIn. Awesome. I just wish you all of the hope and joy and love and success and a life of significance. And we also just wish Charlie many, many decades of health and happiness and love as she continues to go on and all the Charlies out there. Yeah. Thank you so much. I loved, uh, love the chat, John and Becky. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode was brought to you by our good friends at Auth0. With Auth0, your nonprofit can do more with a login box. Greet prospects and rabid fans of your mission with authenticity. Simply make it easier for your team to manage data. There's so much at Auth0 login experience can do. Visit auth0.org for more info. If you enjoyed this episode, we know you'll love being part of the We Are For Good community. It's like our own social network where you can find like-minded friends, ask questions, share resources, and find inspiration anytime. Sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. Thanks, friends. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.